Mike Rags and Todd Burlidge with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. With the sixth pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, the Indianapolis Colts select Quentin Nelson, guard, Notre Dame. If you enjoy watching one human being humiliate another human being on a regular basis, then Quentin Nelson's tape is for you. <laughs> he weighed 10 pounds, 10 ounces at birth, grew up as a fan of the Giants. He only has 39 cousins. Oh, by the way, his family's pretty competitive. They played backyard basketball against each other. His mom broke a wrist taking a block once. Lewis, this is a tough family and a tough kid. You gotta love that. That is, of course, the drafting of uh, Quentin Nelson. It is the Blue Gold Report. Two picks in the top ten, people. How about that? I'm Mike Rags. Gonna bring in our good buddy Todd Burlage here in a second. I do want to remind you, as always, the Blue Gold Report is brought to you by uh, D.O. McComb and Sons. And if you're podcasting this, make sure you share us, you like us, you rate us, you subscribe to the Blue Gold Report podcast. We do this every week. So I just uh, uh, full disclosure, we record on Friday afternoons. Uh, for the weekends, and uh, the first round of the 83rd NFL Draft happened last night. So some of you, by the time you hear this, uh, some of the questions will be answered from the weekend, but we hope you enjoy it nonetheless. Yes, uh, not since 1993 have two Notre Dame Fighting Irish football players been drafted in the top 10. Rick Meyer went 2, Jerome Bettis went 10, while it was uh, uh, Quentin Nelson going 6, and uh, McGlinchey going 9, I believe it was, uh, or 10. Was yes, it? sir. And uh, 9 to the San Francisco 49ers so it was a fun night for Notre Dame early and let's hope they get some more guys in for the next couple days you heard his voice it's our good buddy from Blue Gold Illustrated lead writer for all things Notre Dame Todd Burlidge Todd I'm a little surprised they both went in the top 10 but nonetheless uh they're, they're in good landing spots both protecting very valuable quarterbacks yeah, first time in Notre Dame history that two offensive linemen went in the top 10 in the same draft um also the only the third time in the last 60 years the two offensive linemen from the same team went in the top 10. So, yeah, indeed. I think it was interesting that Mike McGlinchey's stock kind of skyrocketed late after it had fallen. Sure. It's so funny. This draft is so interesting because you don't do a darn thing, and yet your stock drops and then rises on draft day. So good for him. It was it was a fun night for Irish fans. All you have to do is look at what happened with the quarterbacks alone as uh, Darnold dropped to my Jets. So I was in I was in a good mood last night. I have when the Browns became the Browns again and picked Baker Mayfield number one. I I was a happier man, uh, Todd, because I didn't want another Big Twelve quarterback. Although I do have another USC quarterback. Although nobody cares because uh, this is a blue gold Notre Dame podcast. I do want to give you a heads up. We got to talk about that spring game. A lot going on in the spring game. It was a good-looking day out there at the stadium. We've got uh, college basketball has this committee. They're changing some rules. They're doing some things. They have some recommendations. We'll break that down towards the end of the show as well. And obviously, wall-to-wall draft stuff uh, with uh, Quentin Nelson going to the Colts and uh, Mike McGlinchey going to the 49ers. You know, like I, and I may mention, uh, you know, you got a guy coming back from major surgery with the Colts, and you got a guy who's a newly anointed million-dollar man for the 49ers. These guys got major jobs. Jobs to do. We're going to break down some of the draft stuff and what could happen 
happen on the next couple of days with Scott Wright from DraftCountdown.com. He'll join us in a couple minutes. But we start out every show uh, as normal. Before we get to Blue Gold Nuggets, though, we, we uh, unfortunately had a you know a death in the family. Let's just call it as it is uh, this last week. Some sad news coming out of Notre Dame, huh, Todd? Yeah, 25 years old, Kona Schwenke. He was actually one of Brian Kelly's first recruits in 2010. Died in his sleep. Um, had actually been working out for NFL teams uh, recently, most recently, the Atlanta Falcons um, was playing in that spring league. He actually had a sack of Johnny Manziel in this in said spring league on April seventh. So I mean, his health seemed fine, but he died in his sleep mm. at, at the age of twenty five. He was here from two thousand ten to two thousand thirteen. Uh, Thirty one games he played, thirty total tackles. Was a member of the two thousand twelve national championship uh, run team. National qualified for the national championship game. Obviously, didn't win it. Uh, as a senior in 2013, it was his best year. He had 23 total tackles. Solid defensive lineman, never a superstar, but a solid defensive lineman. A bit of a journeyman on some uh, practice squads in the NFL. But yeah, uh, again, one of Brian Kelly's first recruits, so some sad news there for sure, Rags. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but in 2013, didn't he win the Next Man Up award on the team? I, I believe yes. he did, yeah. so uh, Yes, sir, yep. Uh, yeah, real sad news. Uh, way, way, way too young to go. All right, uh, Todd, uh, we start out every show with some blue gold nuggets. Uh, tough uh, segue, but let's go into what you got for us. Yeah, three-pack as usual. Nick Watkins, the senior cornerback who vowed that he was going to stick it out. It's it's fifth year. Uh, he's a graduate, but he had a year of eligibility remaining because he broke his arm in 2016 and did not play. Said he was going to stick it out. Well, he's decided to transfer. You can see the writing on the wall. Um, he actually, Watkins started nine games, the first nine games last season to, until Troy Pride took his spot there. Troy Pride is running with the lead corners, and, and you're not going to dethrone Julian Love on the other side. So I think Nick Watkins saw these guys cutting into his playing time significantly. Certainly would have been part of the cornerback rotation, but he is going to take his talents elsewhere. He had 29 total tackles, eight pass breakups, and one interception last season. So a bit of a hit, but it's a position of depth for Notre Dame, so it certainly is not the end of the world. Sticking with a the football theme, Alex Bars, he is the starting left guard this year, moves over from right guard last season. He'll move to left guard this season. He was named the fourth team captain, joining Sam Mustafer, Drew Tranquil, and Tyler Newsom. Brian Kelly said before spring ball that at the end of spring ball, he was going to name a fourth team captain based on performance during the spring that captain again is Alex Bars. Um, he last he was part. He was like I said, he started right guard last year and was part of a record breaking group. Um, single season rushing yards thirty five hundred and three, and then six point three yards per carry. Also a program record breaking the six point two yards per carry in nineteen twenty one. He's kind of a nondescript guy, but as an offensive lineman, that's how you want to be. Uh, you, you obviously don't want to. You don't want to make a bunch of headlines for sure. So. Uh, Moving on to some college basketball here. A couple recruits for Notre Dame, incoming recruits. Prentice Hub, a point guard, and Robbie Carmody, a shooting guard. Those two will participate in what is really the original all-star game for high school kids. It's called the Capital Classic. It's a big deal. Um, a lot of Notre Dame players, including John Paxson, Kelly Trapuca, have played in this game over the years. It's a big deal. Basically what it is, it's the it's the all-star team from the D.C. area. That's how Prentice Hub qualified for it versus a team from the rest of the country. And that's where Robbie Carmody, a Pennsylvania Mars from Pennsylvania player, that's how he made the team. So I believe this is the first time that two Notre Dame players 
have been in this game at the same time. But it is kind of a big deal. It's this weekend, and we'll keep an eye on it. And those are your blue gold nuggets. All right, everything running in twos. Let's talk about the draft last night. We're going to bring in Scott Wright here from DraftCountdown.com. Talk about what happened last night, what could happen for the rest of the weekend. You know, the biggest thing I got out of it was, uh, you know what? They both got picked by teams that need help just protecting valuable quarterbacks. Yeah. And, no, and, you know, here's how highly uh, touted Quentin Nelson was. Normally, guards don't get picked this high. I think it was only the it was the first time in nearly two decades that a guard went this high. And the yeah. pick was so quick, Todd. I mean, it was almost like, uh, look, why are we trading down? We got Andrew Luck here. We've got uh, this stud. Let's get him. He's right up the road. It'll take a, a bus ride down here. We don't have to pay for any airfare. <laughs> Let's just get him down yeah. here. Uh, and it was just a perfect fit, says Quentin Nelson protects Andrew Luck down with the Colts. Yeah, and you're exactly right. His parents actually bought, Nelson's parents actually bought a place in Syracuse, Indiana, probably on Lake Wawasee, I assume, and moved here so they could follow their son play at Notre Dame. They don't have to sell their house now either. <laughs> <Makes> <laughs> they can stay there and yeah, and, and run down and watch him play and still check out the Notre Dame games uh, for sure. And you mentioned how long it's been since a guard went this high. You have to go, go all the way back to Bill Fralick. He went number five to Atlanta in 1985, so that goes away. That, that, that's a that's a ways off for sure. Um, and uh, first top ten guard period since 2013. A couple of them went in the top ten that year. North Carolina's Jonathan Cooper went number seven, and Alabama's Chance Warmack went number t- um, number ten in that draft. So yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of excitement around him, and, and to watch him in, in pro day and watch his clips, you understand why he's such a high just just. His projections were off the chart, and, and here's what he had to say after he was selected. Uh, I, I was definitely a little uh, surprised by the pick. Um, I met with uh, Chris Ballard and Coach Googe, uh at my pro day, and I had a great conversation with them. But uh, they definitely kept it away from me like, a good amount that I wasn't going to be that, that I was going to be their pick, and uh, I was surprised and ecstatic and so happy to to be their pick at number six and. I would say that I'm a, a very um, nasty offensive lineman that wants to finish his man every play, whether it's in the run game or the pass game. And I, I want to work together with the whole line and have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL uh, and protect one of the best quarterbacks in the game um, and establish a great run game. I'm jacked up. Uh, my parents bought a house in Indiana when I uh, – committed to Notre Dame and they don't have to move and they're going to go to every Notre Dame game on Saturday and then be at my NFL games on Sundays. Well, I like that the uh, the reporters there are hitting deadlines in the background. <laughs> it's good <laughs> right. stuff. Uh, you know, and you know the Colts they haven't picked a, a first round guard first uh, f- since 1984 with Ron Solt. I mean, you just look at it. Luck's been sacked 156 times in 70 games. He's taken yeah. 691 hits. A major surgery. He was out a year and a half. It had to be done. Uh, like I said, a no brainer. And, and Frank Reich says this is the most best offensive lineman he's seen mm-hmm. coming out in a long time. Yeah, for sure. And then you go to you go to the the coast, the West Coast there, and you start talking about McGlinchey protecting Jimmy Garoppolo. They put a lot of money mm-hmm. into that cat. So uh, a couple guys with some heavy responsibilities, as you mentioned, um, on the McGlinchey front. John Lynch, the GM there, he said, uh, "This is a quote. He's got a special presence to him. He's real." He's authentic, and he's a badass. So they're excited about <laughs> McGlinchey out there. It's interesting now because Notre Dame in the last seven drafts has had eight first-round picks. Very impressive stuff. And four of them were offensive linemen. 
Uh, before that, the 12 previous drafts before that run right there I just mentioned for Notre Dame, they only had two first-round picks in 12 drafts, Jeff Fain and Brady Quinn. So uh, especially on the offensive line, man, uh, that's, that's become a real pipeline. That's yeah, great stuff. McGlinchey goes 9 to San Francisco. Congratulations to both guys. Now, where will everybody else end up? Well, let's bring them in right now and talk to DraftCountdown.com. Scott Wright is going to join us for a couple minutes here to talk about uh, Notre Dame 2 to got in and what's ahead. Scott, it's Mike Rags and Todd Burledge on the Blue Gold Report. How you doing, my friend? Hey, guys. I'm doing excellent. Thanks for having me busy time of year for you. Let's focus on the top 10. Uh, it's only happened one other time in 93 for Notre Dame. I was a little surprised. You had Quentin Nelson number one overall, so you probably weren't surprised by him. Were, were you uh, a bit uh, shocked that McGlinchey found his way into the top 10? Mildly. Uh, I had him actually going to the San Francisco 49ers in my final mock draft. I just had them trading down a, a half a like five spots, I think, to do it. But, uh, no, I think that was about where he probably should have gone. And a uh, real solid pick for the 49ers. Uh, uh, obviously, a very bright future there in San Francisco right now, but it all revolves around Jimmy Garoppolo. So anything they can do to make his life easier uh, is a wise investment. So uh, Mike McGlinchey is one of the safest prospects in this draft. Uh, he might not be Orlando Pace or John Ogden, but you know what you're getting. He's going to be a plug-and-play starter, a right tackle for them, and upgrade that position. And who knows, uh, in a couple years down the line, I think the potential is there for maybe him to replace Joe Staley on the blind side. So uh, just a really solid pick. Uh, and uh, uh, You know, right about where he was supposed to go, I think. Yeah, you're right. When you talk about Staley, um, he's getting up there. He's a little bit long in the tooth. It's kind of interesting that Joe Staley actually – He's a Central Michigan graduate. He actually was a player under Brian Kelly there and offensive line coach Jeff Quinn. He turns 34. So, yeah, right tackle from McGlinchey, a good starter kit for him. And then I think, indeed, you're right, Scott, that eventually he could move to the left side. When we talk about Quentin Nelson, I mean, watching him at Pro Day, watching his tape, his film, this guy is an absolute mauler, uh, certainly a rarity for a offensive guard to go that early, but well-deserving, don't you think, Scott? Absolutely. He is my number one prospect in the entire draft, regardless of position. One of only two players I gave my elite five-star grade to this year, and the best true offensive guard prospect I've seen in the 20 years I've been covering the NFL draft. He is just the total package, and uh, I had said all along that if I was the Indianapolis Colts, that's who I would have taken, even at number three overall. So the fact that they were able to get him and still pick up those three second-round picks, uh, just an extraordinary job by, by the, the Colts management there and Chris Ballard. Uh, it's just been one of the, the most untapped uh, resources in, in, uh, in the league, really, was Indianapolis. It's been so misrun. So they're going to turn things around real quick, not only with the addition of Nelson, uh, assuming Andrew Luck is healthy, of course, but we're talking right now before the start of day two of the, the draft, and they, are, they have three picks in the second round, uh, which is really the sweet spot of this draft. All three of those guys are going to come in and be, oh, should be instant starters for the Colts. So they have an incredible opportunity uh, with this draft to, to make a huge leap forward in a, a quick hurry. And uh, Quentin Nelson, I think, was a huge step in the right direction. Uh, just as safe of a prospect as you're going to get uh, in the NFL draft and uh, a blue-chip building block. 
We're talking with Scott Wright, uh, founder of DraftCountdown.com. You know, uh, let's talk about the running back Josh Adams here because in the middle of last season, uh, you could have had him projected in a top uh, t- in a second round or maybe even a first round. The way he was performing, it just seemed like every week that went by, he dropped a round for this draft. Where now he's projected maybe a fifth round at best. Where do you have him going, Josh? Yeah, I have Josh going. Josh Adams going in the middle rounds. Actually, he's my number twelve running back, uh, and uh, and he's probably going to be a fourth or fifth round pick. But he's also has the potential to vastly outperform that draft slot. Now, with running backs, it's not just about talent, but it's also about opportunity. So he needs to go into a situation where he'll have a chance to to, to get uh, maybe compete for a starting job. But the, the whole thing with Josh Adams is durability. Uh, and he's a different type of player than C.J. Procise, but we see how injuries have hindered C.J. Procise throughout his career, and uh, I think they're every bit as pronounced with Adams, if not even more so, going back to his high school days. So uh, he's a talented guy, though, and if he can just stay on the field, uh, he's big, he rug- he's surprisingly fast, and uh, obviously you have some nice holes when you have Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey in front of you, but um, he's a good player. I-, I thought of like an Eddie George type of player watching him at his best, of course, uh, but the problem is those moments have just been few and far between. And, and, and like you said, he, he progressively wore down as the season went on. I like that comparison, Scott. Yeah, indeed, he kind of runs and, and, and very similar to Eddie George. Hadn't thought about that, but I see what you're saying for sure. I suppose of the three guys that are likely to get drafted remaining for Notre Dame, we've already talked about Josh Adams, Dern Smythe, the tight end. He'll probably go late. Um, but Equinemius St. Brown, I would assume of the three remaining Irish players, he would probably rate out the highest, Scott. Yeah, and I think he's got a chance to go tonight on day two, uh, maybe in the second, probably more of a third round. Uh, really intriguing guy, I think, uh, along with another player in this draft, DJ Chark from LSU. Similar situations in that, uh, just, I mean, first-round type of physical tools in terms of the size and the speed, but both were held back by poor quarterback play. So, uh, Equinemius Brown, uh, you might be able to get him at a value point in the draft because he wasn't necessarily able to show what he was able to do this past season and, and capitalize. Uh, uh, but, you know, I, I have a question for you guys, actually, because, you know, one of the, the – I have never heard anything specific, but there was talk before the draft that uh, how important is football to Equinemius St. Brown and is that something that could push him on the board? Is, is that issue is throughout his time with the program – commitment uh is he focused on football or is that something that teams you know are maybe or should be worried about you know there, there was a little bit of buzz about that scott it's interesting he's kind of one of these guys similar to a josh rosen he has a lot of other interests you know he speaks i believe it's five different languages comes from a real eclectic family real interesting family that has their hands in a lot of different things so i think that's where that came about and frankly, sometimes it showed here on the field. You wondered, and in practice, you wondered if he was all in. That was one of the knocks on him here. So, to be honest with you, I think there might be a little something to that. Um, I suppose if you're talking about guys that are all in and work their butts off, you have to mention Durham Smythe because he turned himself into really an afterthought into somebody I believe will get drafted. What's your take on him? Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, and, and I wouldn't be shocked if he went to fourth or fifth round even. Uh, I, that would be a little rich for me, but I think he's a better prospect than Ben Koyak was coming out. And I don't think I ever see him being a, a starting tight end in the NFL, certainly not a starting caliber. If he's starting for you, you're probably looking to upgrade. But 
I think he can have a nice career as a backup, uh, really well-rounded player, and, and did a nice job throughout the pre-draft process. I was down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl and got to see him there, and uh, more than held his own. He tested relatively well. He ran a 4-8-1, so um, just a nice job the past few months, and uh, I think he'll be probably a fifth or sixth round pick, and uh, probably more of a backup, but nothing wrong with that. You can play in the NFL a long time. From DraftCountdown.com, it's uh, it's our good buddy Scott Wright. And Scott, you know, the Colts must have had Quentin Nelson at number one, too, because there was no quicker pick in the draft last night. They knew it's like the perfect fit. He's right down the highway here. Uh, he'll be going down to Indianapolis. And you got a franchise com- quarterback coming off a major injury. It was a no-brainer that he was going at number, uh, number eight there. I'm sorry, number six. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought they might trade down. Uh, I, I thought they might try to accumulate picks just because they have so many needs on that defense. Uh, but, but they stopped so many picks they could afford to be uh, – I don't even want to say it was gratuitous because, I mean, anytime you try to protect Andrew Luck, it's a great investment. And uh, Nelson's a generational prospect. So uh, it's definitely a pick that I, I'm happy about. And I, You know, the Colts right now, I'm thinking about a couple years ago how – Watching the draft, I was getting so excited about what the, the Jaguars were doing. They took Jalen Ramsey. They took uh, uh, Miles Garrett with their second pick. The next year, they took Leonard Fournette. They just stocked up with all these great young players. And we could be seeing something similar happening with the Colts. Uh, not only with Nelson, I'm very excited to see what they get with these three second-round picks. Uh, boy, I mean, the future is really bright for the Colts as long as Andrew Luck is healthy, which is, of course, a big if, but... Uh, boy, it, 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 a lot of teams would, would love to trade places and have the future of the Colts. Uh, you did a great job. we got to go to draftcountdown.com, and good luck the rest of the weekend. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, that's Scott Wright from uh, draftcountdown.com. Con- continue to follow that all weekend long because he's got, uh, well, I think there's six more rounds, uh, Todd, and two on Friday that we got to get through, and we'll see what happens with our players here. All right, let's 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 talk about the current team, Todd, as we uh, enjoyed the spring game. It was a pleasant day out in South Bend. Uh, you know, the quarterbacks. I mean, everybody just wants to know about the quarterbacks. Nobody cares about anything else because the quarterback, you can actually analyze how he can throw the ball at, yeah, at, right. at this point in time. Nobody else is doing anything. Uh, so what do we think of BK uh, and, and, and Wimbush? What happened here? Well, it was, a, it was a feverish pace. Let's put it that way. They ran 85 plays in the first half alone. Now the second half was a running clock, uh, so things slowed down a little bit. I found a lot of People wrote about how well they thought Wimbush played, and he did. He was 19 of 33, 341 yards, two TDs. Um, but I, he had a couple throws in there. His interception was really bad. I mean, the guy just jumped the route. He, it, it was a ball that should have never been thrown. And there was another one. The same thing happened, but the defensive back dropped the interception. So I thought a bit of a mixed bag. But all in all, I, th- I think Brian Kelly likes what he sees. As a matter of fact, here is Brian Kelly's assessment of how Wimbush played. I think he repeated his motion was the best thing that he did today. So repetition of what his mechanics need to be, what his platform needs to be. Threw a couple off his back foot, maybe a questionable decision here or there. Those are less of a concern for me because he's so you know conscientious about those things. I was much, much more uh, interested in how he was going to handle pregame how he's been handling you know, the game situations and getting um, his intensity up a little bit. You know, As you all know that interview him, he's about as cool and calm as anybody. He needs that heartbeat to race a little bit more. And today he got it up a little bit. I thought it, it, it helped him in the way he plays. 
So his intensity management was really good today, and that was big for me. Consistency in his mechanics was probably the biggest thing. You know, his drop, you know, put him in a lot of compromising situations in terms of throwing the football. And so I think that was cleaned up, started with his attention to those things and being very coachable. Um, and then repetition, you know, doing it consistently, play in and play out. So we're not there yet, but we made a huge jump forward. Um, last spring I told him, I went home, I didn't feel so good about the way you played. Um, I think I'm going to go home and feel a whole lot better today. Oh, well, that's uh, nice. I, I, that might be the nicest thing BK's ever said about a quarterback <laughs> at Notre Dame. Um, uh, look, there's a lot of uh, question marks, especially on offense, especially at running back here, Todd. We've got a lot of guys, got some growing up to do, and put the big, yeah. bo- big boy pants on. Uh, from what you can assess, and again, it's April on a spring game. Um, have you seen any maturity? Have you seen some development there? Yeah, and that's how that's what I went into the spring game looking for. There's a handful of guys, and I'll run down the list that, that they they do rags you hit on it. They need to grow up. It's time. They've been in the program for several years now. They need to step up. They lost a lot of skilled guys on the receivers, running backs, the whole works here. So it, it's their time, and, and and they need to step up. And I think so far during the spring they did. For what it's worth, Ian Book went 17 to 30 passing, 292 yards, and one touchdown. Uh, Brian Kelly basically said afterwards that certainly Wimbush is expected to be the starter. But getting back to what you asked about, let's start with let's start with the running back, Dexter Williams. Here's a guy that I think really, uh, again, needs to grow up. I mean, when you look at last season, through the first four games, 11 yards per carry, four touchdowns. But then in the last nine games, he missed four of them and had only 146 yards rushing with no TDs over the last nine games. He needs to be more durable. Had a nice spring game, 117 rushing yards on 11 carries. Did have a one-yard TD run and then a 70, I'm sorry, a 72-yard run as well in that game. So he did a nice job moving over the wide receiving crew. This is going to be real, real interesting. You know, we anointed Miles Boykin as sort of the alpha male of this group, the senior, uh, after his 55-game-winning uh, touchdown catch against LSU in the Citrus Bowl, but. You know, while we're anointing him as the man, the man, the man, he only has 17 other career catches. So he's still a bit of an inexperienced guy here that's kind of been up and down when it comes to commitment. He played well in the spring game as well, had three catches for 132 yards. So he had some big boy catches here, including a 64-yard touchdown. So encouraging there. Another wide receiver who, again, has been a head case. He's here at practice today, but tomorrow he's not. You know, you just can't keep him consistent. That's junior Chase Claypool. He had a heck of a game. If they still gave an MVP award-winning uh, uh, award, that he would have received it for sure. He had six receptions, 151 yards, two TDs, including an 85-yard TD there. You know, he was second on the team last year, so he is the leading returning receiver. He had 29 catches, 402 yards, and two TDs. But Brian Kelly has consistently talked all spring long about he needs to stay in it. He needs to stay focused. He needs to develop those traits and all that good stuff. And then if tight ends, another senior, Alize Mack. We've talked about him quite a bit. Here's another guy. You know, only two of his 19 catches last season and 12 of his 166 receiving yards came during the last seven games. So he started out kind of hot and then totally fizzled. Um, he, he missed the Citrus Bowl with a suspension. He had four receptions in the spring game for 37 yards. So he did a nice job as well. Those are the guys, Williams, Boykin, Claypool, and Mack, that I think all need to step up, and I thought the spring showed that they are into it. When you look at these wide receivers, you got Boykin on one side, six foot four, two 227 pounds. Claypool, six foot five, two 229 pounds. If they can keep these guys committed, 
man, those are that, that's a heck of a tandem to throw two rags. Yep, no doubt about it. Uh, it, it is uh, it's development is what we want, Todd. Uh, and you've been to a lot of these games. Uh, first of all, I forgot to ask you what format did they use. I, I totally I missed that. What did did they do? Uh, uh, every touchdown's four point. What, what, what did we do here? Yeah, it was. Uh, I don't remember what the final score was. Uh, it was 47 44. The blue offense beat the gold defense. What they did, Rags, the touchdowns were your standard six points, field goals, the same one. The offensive scoring was pretty much status quo. The defense, they, they awarded points for three and outs, punts, mm-hmm, if they mm-hmm. forced a punt, those mm-hmm. types of things, any turnovers, sacks. Those types of things. So it, it was the same they used last year. I guess one of the one one of the interesting notes, Avery Davis, the third string quarterback here, they've been moving him around quite a bit during spring, trying to find a place for him. This dude is a heck of an athlete, man. He played some running back, eleven carries, thirty six yards. He caught a couple passes at wide receiver, two catches for twenty four yards, and he went two of two passing as well for twenty six <laughs> yards. So did a little bit of everything. I think the two guys that stood out to me defensively were Alohi Gilman. The transfer from Navy hit six total tackles all over the ball, man. This kid can really hit. He's going to be a nice addition uh, to uh, to that safety crew. Had a fumble, forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. And Drew Tranquil, the Fort Wayne kid, had nine total tackles. That led all Irish and a sack. So those were kind of my takeaways. We did catch up with Brian Kelly, obviously, afterwards. And just kind of ask him to assess where the uh, you know where they are in this particular spring game and where they need to go now in the coming months. I, I think... At the end of the day, when I walk away from this, our guys competed. We got a lot of young players, uh, an opportunity to go in there. And we worked on some of the things that I I think I had mentioned in a couple of other press conferences. We needed to throw the football more effectively. We needed some receivers to step up and make plays. And I thought we saw that today. We're going to have to find out what our rotation is on the offensive line. You know, uh, false start penalties in there. But they'll, they'll clean themselves up with maturity. You know, defensively, I thought we were aggressive. We we played the ball in the air. We were we were attacking the football. So, for me, you know, again, I, I'll get a better sense when I watch the film. But you know, a lot of things happened out there. It was an exciting, competitive spring game with a lot going on. We ran a ton of plays at our defense. They got tired, which they would. Pleased with the game, and we got out of it injury free. There's so much more, you know, things that we need to do in terms of our preparation. First thing they need to do is finish strong academically. Um, you know, their focus will be on some optional lifts um, over the next week or two, exams. Then they'll get some time off, an active rest period for them. Um, and then when we get back here in June, really, uh, we need to continue to, to develop physically. Um, so there'll be some some hard months here in June and July for us. Then when we get into camp, you know, developing, you know, the, the consistency on both sides of the ball, you know, there's some new new faces out there that, that have to be counted on. So there's a lot of work um, leading up to the Michigan game, but we know it's in front of us. We know that we're not a finished product at this point. And, um, but their work ethic has been great. Their attitude's been great. It's a close team. Um, they really care for each other. So there's a lot of really good things moving forward. Uh-huh. Kumbaya. I love it. Todd, uh, <laughs> schedule-wise, what are we looking at here? What's up next uh, for these guys? What, what should fans be looking out for? Well, like you said, academics is going on right now. That's sort of priority. They do have some quote-unquote voluntary lifts um, in the weight room and whatnot. Then Brian Kelly's going to give them some time off. Uh, for finals and then a little break to get back home. They'll return in June. That's when really teams are made. It really is, Rags, because the coaches can't be around. 
So it falls on the captains to organize these workouts, lead these workouts, and keep everybody on pace. The coaches will meet everybody and say, look, you did a great job with this this spring. This is what you need to focus on during the summer months. And they'll do that through June and July. And guess what? August will be here before you know it, and training camp will open. Oh, yeah. And Michigan, like Brian Kelly said, Michigan will be here as well. All right, uh, Todd. College basketball, obviously a lot of people look at it and they think it's it's a mess. And in a lot of ways, it is a mess. Although our, our good buddy Mike Bray, he runs things here the right way. Everything seems to be on the up and up and we love him. And, and he's, you know, he's admired because of that. But elsewhere, there's problems. And so the college basketball and the, the brainchild behind it uh, put together a committee. Uh, so if you ever wondered what Condoleezza Rice thinks of college basketball and what should be changed, <laughs> now you know. Um, this, right. There's, you know, they, they recommended a lot of stuff, including the death of the one and done, which is very interesting. Uh, we'll get to that in a bit. But, uh, you know, with the coaches feeling a lot of pressures to cheat, there's a lot of problems in the sport. What can we do about it? Yeah, you know, and all this stems rags from, uh, what was it, last October when the FBI was investigating yep. and found a lot of misgivings on coaches, paying money, shoe companies involved, just kind of really uncovered the the dirty underbelly of college basketball. And, and, you know, and so the NCAA felt it would be necessary to put together kind of an independent committee to look at the sport and come up with some suggestions on how they can clean this up. And, you know, the, it was a 60-page report that Secretary Rice and uh, an 11-person panel put together on that panel's father, John Jenkins, the Notre Dame president. Um, so basically, I, to, to highlight what happened, you mentioned the one and done. They're going to look at that and just how to what we can do with the high school kids. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But I think the other part of it, too, was very harsh penalties for these coaches that cheat and do different things. They're talking about a five-year ban a five-year ban for money postseason if they find something bad. And they're even talking about a coach getting kicked out for life. So they're not messing around with these punishments. The NCAA will vote on all this in August. And from what you can gather from Father Jenkins and everybody else, they I think a lot of this will get approved. Here, here was Father Jenkins. This was his take on what he thought the whole process, how, how he thought it played out. I think many of the coaches are saying, save us from ourselves. Uh, you know, that coaches, you know, they have high-profile jobs that get compensated, but they, they, you know, they're one bad season away from getting dumped. And so the, there's an incentive to push the edge. And I, I think if we have a set of uh, uh, sanctions and punishments, and frankly, presidents need to be take responsibility, and ADs take, need to take responsibility, then everybody's on the same page, and a coach won't be tempted to kind of just cross that line that's going to get uh, the program into trouble. So I, I hope that's a result of this. It's a, it's a steep hill to climb. Let's, let's not declare victory. And uh, the NCAA has a lot of responsibility. We all have a lot of responsibility. It's a steep hill to climb, but I think we're better off today than we were yesterday. Uh, I think it would require a commitment. So uh, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't uh, place odds on it. But I think there's, um, you know, as, as someone once said, I've quoted, never waste a good crisis. And I think this is a crisis and we can use it to make college basketball better. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful game. And I do think, I love the pro game, but I think it's a different game in college. And it's young kids, people on campus colleges playing a game. It's a great thing. It's worth saving, uh, it, but it will depend on all of us, on the NCAA, and we're the NCAA, to get it done. So uh, um, I'm optimistic, but uh, we've got a long way to go. 
you know, the one criticism of this report and these recommendations was that it didn't do anything to to address really the biggest issue in college sports right now, and that's paying players or or allowing them to at least at least make money off their likeness and images. As the colleges and university presidents and ads make so much money off these kids, it was interesting that, that they kind of punted on that topic, and it kind of hit home actually this week for for Notre Dame very much so. As Ricky Ogumbale, Ogumbale, thank you, sir. I should know it by now. My <laughs> word, <laughs> you know she was she was invited to participate in the all athlete Dancing with the Stars. She was one of ten contestants, and the NCAA had to really look at this. Would she be eligible for to win prize money if she would? And indeed, the the NCAA did a separate ruling on this and said yes, she would. Now they're not going to allow her to be in any in any promotions or anything like that. But she it probably was a can't bit, was, wear blue or gold either, right? She probably can't <laughs> yeah, take right. on the likeness of Notre Dame at all. I would think. But as part of the NCAA's ruling, it said that. Arike's success and her notoriety is unrelated to her basketball abilities. Now, really? So she doesn't hit the game-winning shots here. <laughs> it's absolutely she's, true. She's certainly not invited to Dancing with the Stars. We we, we all know that. But uh, they're going to let her do this. I think the reason is I think it's selfish in many respects in the NCAA. It's going to help exposure for women's uh, basketball. Yeah, so I think ultimately that's why they're doing that. But they did open a door here, and they did create a bit of a slippery slope things moving forward if you remember do you remember the place kicker from central florida donald de la hay he was the guy that was making money off youtube posting videos completely unrelated to football anything he was doing and uh, the ncaa banned him and said you cannot do that so he actually retired from football yeah it's I, i thought those two uh, we're very similar, so it looks like the NCAA might be becoming a little bit more flexible. So if Ar- if Eric a. wanted to write a book about the game-winning shot, she not allowed. She's not allowed she to make. Wouldn't. I mean, she's not allowed to make money. If she wanted to get a job at McDonald's part time, is she not allowed? I mean, she's allowed to be an entrepreneur on her own. I don't understand how they think they can enforce yeah. something like that. And I'm glad they came to their senses on at least the Dancing with the Stars. I mean, this is her own time, her own thing. Yeah. Who cares why she's a star? She's a star. Well, it's interesting because, like, if you're a, a scholarship, a musician on scholarship, you can go out and, make and sell albums, and that's no problem whatsoever. But if you're an athlete, it's a totally different standard, and that's, uh, I don't know, I suppose that's another debate for another time. But I think what I took away from this, and I like the rule here, is sort of the death of the one and done. It likely won't take place until the 2020-2021 uh, season because that's when the contracts are up again. But what they're doing, they're basically saying, okay, now if you're 18 years old, you can go pro. So if you want to come and you want to play college ball, great. But chances are, if you're in that elite group, you're just going to go pro. And I think that'll help the college game. They're also saying, you know what, if you go, if, if you enter in the draft and you don't get drafted, you can come back to school. That's another recommendation. They're not setting up any any, any time frame like you. if you come to school, you don't have to necessarily stay for two years. You can still be a one-and-done. But chances are those players will, will just they'll just skip the college experience altogether, and who can blame them? Talking about setting up a fund for kids if they go pro after if they spend two years in college and they go pro and they want to come back to school, they'll get their school paid for. I thought that was kind of interesting, uh, but again, they didn't address playing the paying the players. But Mike Bray, he really likes this one and done thing, and he talks a little bit about how it might impact his program, basically. I really believe in 2020, the one and done will be gone. 
you know, and, and kids will be able to go from high school right in. Um, there's no question that the, the, the committee, the commission did a great job. First group they brought in were the NBA. That was the first group they brought in. I firmly believe Adam Silver and the Players Association feel it's time and want to help. You know, we have been an unbelievable farm system. They've had it good with us. The NBA has had it good with us. They need to help us a little bit now, and I really believe they feel it's time. Now, if they come to us, we don't, we're not going to have the baseball rule. I don't see that happening. I don't see two years commitment. So a guy could still go after one year, but that phenom group, whether it's 7, 10, 18, go ahead and do it. If you don't get drafted, um, I like the idea that you can come back. Even with kids, say I have a young man two years, T.J. Gibbs, a year from now, puts his name in, goes all the way, he's not drafted, they could come back. The other important aspect of today's report was agents being able to be involved and being able to communicate with high school kids. That is one of the other areas that's been hard to handle, the agents getting involved with great prospects at age 14. You know, I think one of our coaches said they're recruited before we recruit them, a lot of them. And, and so enforcement and the, the agents as advisors, as we have in baseball, as we have in hockey, I think this is good new territory for us to work on. That's good stuff there, and, and they got to clean up that uh, little uh, basketball program yeah. that's not in uh, the NCAA that these kids get grabbed and, and put into and get sneaker deals and all that kind of fun sure. stuff. Um, but, you, you know you know what, Rex? I'm going I'm to interrupt you there because you're exactly right. The, I, I think the, these rulings, if they are indeed approved, it's going to mark the end of AAU basketball yeah, and AAU's what a dirty business up, that yeah. is. I think, I think the NCAA is going to do some different things to kind of ditch that as far as putting together camps uh, for players to go to. And when Bray was talking about a partnership with the NBA, keep in mind the one-and-done rule is not an NCAA rule. Nope. It's an NBA rule. Yep. Um, so so that's kind of interesting. A lot of people don't realize that. So, uh, indeed. And then I think we touched on it a little bit ago, Rags, the enforcement. I, I think love these it. harsh penalties I for these it. coaches – Boy, that's going to keep some. That's going to keep coaches on their toes, and, and it's going to make them think twice uh, about some wrongdoings here and here. Mike Bray, Mike Bray loves it as well. They weren't stringent enough. Uh, the NSA was handcuffed as far as you know, probably investigation and then penalizing. So I think uh, it was very tempting for some to really push the issue because the reward was definitely worth the risk. And I think that's one of the most powerful things that come out of this, that enforcement is taken away from the NCAA, and it's an outside entity that has an iron fist to really put it on some people. We need to have that uh, and to deter some of the living on the edge that some coaches have felt it's okay to do. Um, I think with enforcement moving outside and the penalties being harsher, you're going to really have to think twice if you're going to go down that road. Again, I think it's a – I'm sure we'll catch some people, right, and they'll get hammered. I'm hoping it's a deterrent, you know, for people to say, hey, I'm not even going to go down that road as I'm running my program because it's just too costly. You know, I don't want to sit there and here and be holier than thou. I mean, we've been very confident in how we've run it, and I think a lot of college programs run it like ours and do it the right way. Um, but there's been a few that have pushed it. Um, and then when you see them sometimes advancing in the NSA tournament, you know, that's a little bit hard to swallow. 
Um, so, you know, I, I think it will level it a little bit. And, and uh, I think coaches, coaches as a whole are, are going to be very pleased with harder, harsher penalties. Deterrent, Todd. I like that word. And that's what the, the, the I love the enforcement because then coaches just say, what, could I, should I? And, mm-hmm. and Mike even said it himself. The risk was, uh, was not the, the same as the, you know, the reward was higher than the risk. If they, if they sure. got in trouble, oh, well, uh, you know, it, it, it's good thing. Banned for life. I have no problem with that, Todd, at all, especially on second offenses or things like that. I, yeah. I like I like those words. Yeah, I do too. And again, it's going to have to be a, a pretty egregious <laughs> misgiving there for that to happen. But just to have that out there as a possibility certainly will serve as a deterrent. You know, it was interesting to say Mike Bray continued on there and he talked about how the game of recruiting will change. And I hadn't thought about this. It's pretty interesting. If you now take the one and dones out of the loop here, they're gone, okay? They're not part of the deal anymore. Now all of a sudden you fall to players like Notre Dame is bringing in. I mentioned two of them, Prentice Hub and Robbie Carmody, a couple top 70 players here. Now all of a sudden schools like Kentucky and Duke and some of these teams where they just they more than welcome in the one and dones, they're going to be recruiting these kids as well. Where they weren't looking at them before, Notre Dame was able to slip in and get them. So it's going to become a little bit more competitive when it comes to fighting for these, I don't want to call them second-tier players. Let's call them 1B players. Let's call the elite the 1As and these guys the 1Bs. It's going to become a lot more competitive when you start throwing schools again like Kentucky, Duke, and some others Some others that really foster that one-and-done deal. It's going to make, it might make it a little bit more challenging for Mike Bray and other schools and other programs similar to his. Well, I'd be wary, though. There is one thing that it will affect. Yes, there, there might be more parity and the tournament might be crazier, but... Because of these, what's happened in the sport, the competition and the quality of play has dropped dramatically. With these new rules, it might get worse. I will just be wary. The play itself might be almost unwatchable at times, Todd, especially between the, the good and the bad. Uh, that's the only thing about this rule I, I don't like. I do want the one and done gone. It's going to clean up the sport. It's going to let these kids do what they want to do. But I will warn people, the quality of basketball that we see, we're going to have to get used to because the elite won't be there. But when the elites are only there for a year, that makes for some sloppy true. basketball That's rags. True. I you're would right. almost argue, I would argue the other side of the point. Now you're going to have more programs like Notre Dame where the kids are sticking around. They learn to play together, and therefore it makes the game more fun to watch. So I, I, I would actually counter that the, the quality of play may might improve. Certainly the athleticism will slip some. Well, that's what I you mean. You won't see the high-flying yeah. dunks no, and whatnot. No. But I think you will see a better brand of basketball, ultimately. It depends on what your cup of tea is, I guess. Uh, yes, sir. There's no doubt about it. All right, Todd, another one in the books. Blue Gold Report a podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us and share us and rate us. The more you rate and the more you like, the more people get to listen. And we'll do it again next week. The Blue Gold Report is brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. Todd, I'll talk to you next week. All right, looking forward to it, Rags. This has been a presentation of Optin Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.